Brothers and sisters, we have uh, the privilege to sit under the teaching this morning of Jordan Erickson. Jordan has been the student ministry director here for a number of years. Uh, many of you may know that he is pursuing licensing this year through the EFCA, and we're all excited about that. Uh, Jordan fulfills the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 as an elder qualified man. And it is our privilege to sit under the teaching of godly men like him. One of the things I like about Jordan best is that when you poke him, he bleeds Bible. In his jokes, in his counseling, in his discussion, in prayer, he faithfully communicates the word of God. And many of you have had the privilege of experiencing that yourself. And that's the kind of men we want opening the word to us, is it not? Men who would faithfully show us God's word. Jordan, brother, come and feed us. Well, thank you so much for that kind introduction, Matt. And at church, good morning. How are you today? Good. Hey, happy new year. Right, It is so wonderful, and what a privilege it is to worship the Lord with you and to open up his word today. Uh, what I'd love for you to do is go ahead and grab a copy of God's word and open to Galatians 6. And as you're churning there, I want to just mention a couple of things. The first is I want to say thank you uh, for your faithfulness. Right, your faithfulness in getting here to service, even though some of you might have taken a couple extra turns of your key uh, to get your car started. Right? I want to thank you for your faithfulness in praying for us as a church family and our church staff. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Um, and the extension of that, uh, thank you so faithfully for those of you who are able to give for um, our staff Christmas gift, it was a huge blessing, but uh, regardless, we are grateful for your faithfulness uh, to God and to this church body. Uh, and the other thing that I want to do is I want to ask you a question before we start this sermon is, what did you have for breakfast today? Right? We often qualify breakfast as what? The most important meal of the day. And if you remember those high-quality cereal commercials, you'll probably remember hearing the phrase that cereal was an important part of your balanced breakfast. Tony the Tiger taught me well. right? If you ate their cereal, you had a balanced breakfast, you were going to have a full and good day. But here's the thing, church. Breakfast is important, but Jesus Christ is offering you more than just one good day. Right? Jesus Christ is offering you more than just eight essential vitamins and minerals. He offers you life now and forever. That's why in John 10.10, 10, he says, I came so that they might have life and have it abundantly. So that when we ask the foundational question of this Galatians series, is Jesus enough? We can say, absolutely. Jesus is enough because he leads me to life in the Spirit. Last week, Pastor Matt talked about keeping in step with the Spirit by bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit from Galatians 5. If one proclaims to know, to love, to follow Christ, this is what their lives will look like. Right? These fruits are the attributes of life in the Spirit. And just like breakfast church, the, the Christian life needs balance too. Right? One can only study so much scripture, hear so many sermons, listen to so much worship music before their soul is moved to go live out the freedom and new life that they've found in Christ. A heart that follows Jesus yearns to make him known through the fruit that's bore of the Christian life. 
And it's the Holy Spirit indwelling in the heart of every believer, every faithful follower of Christ that makes that a reality. And in chapter 6, Paul gives us very practical examples of what this looks like, starting with how we live life with one another as the church. Let's go ahead and read together. Galatians 6.1, this is what the word of the Lord says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches and do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. Now, before we dive into chapter 6, I'd like to take uh, just a quick hop back to a couple of verses in chapter 5 because they provide an important context and lens through which to view the rest of this passage. So let's take a look at verses 25 and 26 just above. Right? If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Church, life in the Spirit starts with humility. Right, we are encouraged in verse 26 not to become conceited. And I want to make it clear, church, that, that conceit is an issue of pride. And pride is not just thinking too highly of ourselves. Pride is being overly self-focused, good or bad. These Galatian Christians that were the first to receive this letter were tricked into the harmful practice of asceticism, right? Harmful self-discipline just to earn God's favor, Right, and in 2022, that looks like the destructive practice of negative self-talk that's falsely disguised as humility. Because somehow if I think less of myself as a person, God apparently gets more glory. But is that true, church? No, it's not. Right, instead, Paul encourages and invites believers to live a life in the spirit where our focus is on glorifying God and caring well for others. Because Jesus Christ has freed me from being concerned about my own righteousness. He has freed me from being concerned about my own good works or my own fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Because all who would believe in Christ and all who would call upon his name have been justified or made right before God. And after establishing life in the spirit as one free from pride, Paul says that in verse 1 that if you are caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, if you claim to be a faithful follower of Christ and you see your brother or sister struggling and losing their fight with sin, right, finding themselves trapped in whatever behavior they're in, you should restore them. Right, bring them back to a place of repentance where they can see Christ and their salvation more clearly. And let's be real, like this verse is so uncomfortable for so many Christians. Why? It's because we live in a judge-not culture. Right? A culture that proclaims statements like, oh, it is what it is. 
You do you, you are enough. And so when we're confronted with the reality of our own sin that we, in fact, aren't perfect people, we get defensive, right? Anybody here like to be called out on their sin? No, right? But can I encourage us for a second in a couple of ways, church? Right, the first is this, is that there is real power in confession. Because when I confessed my sins to Jesus, it it led me to repentance. And repentance led me to salvation and salvation to eternal life with God. Confession, yes, it acknowledges my imperfections, but it also acknowledges Jesus as the one who can free me from my struggle with sin. Right, I can hand the keys of my life over to Christ knowing that he will lead me to freedom. A world that hates Jesus produces a culture that traps you into avoiding confession so that you falsely come across as perfect. But the truth is, church, is that Jesus has made you enough in the eyes of his Father by his own death and resurrection. And church, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, right? This whole process, it's uncomfortable. But that's what life in the Spirit's about, right? Loving your family enough to do the hard things. Parents, if your child's about to do something dangerous, do you just respond with, oh, you do you. You go run into the street, go stick that fork into an electrical outlet. Or do you love them enough to say something and stop them? Right? If you see that your friend is harming themselves through relationships or addictions or whatever it is, do you sit there and say, oh, it is what it is? Or do you love them enough to go after them? Because that's what Jesus did for us. Right, The Holy Spirit reminds us that when we were caught in our own sin, God looked at us and said, you're literally dying and I love you too much to let you keep doing this to yourself. So I'm going to send my son to die on a cross to take away your sin. I'm going to send my son to rise from the dead so that you have eternal life. And I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you so that you can live free from sin. Church, we live out the fruit of the love that God first showed us when we confront sin and restore family in a spirit of gentleness, even when it's uncomfortable, right? Because that's what it means to live in step with the Spirit. And sometimes it's going to require more than one person, right? There's a reality that we can become tempted with the sin that one struggles with, right? Or to think too highly of our own righteousness, and so we look down on the sinner that we're supposed to be restoring. And so bringing along others can further help restore and provide accountability for our family in Christ, Because there's real power, church, when we live life in the spirit together and when we restore people in the spirit of gentleness that God showed us first. Paul then goes on and calls all faithful followers of Christ to bear one another's burdens in verse 2. Whether it's the burdens of sin from verse 1, the emotional burdens of living in a broken world, or the physical burdens of ailing health and material need. As Matt often says, you know, Monday morning's coming, right? And tomorrow, your life may intersect with somebody who's struggling to pay their bills. Somebody who's going through chemotherapy. Somebody who is grieving the loss of a loved one during the holidays. And let's be real, you have your own burdens too. right? But praise the Lord that we don't have to bear those burdens alone. We have this family of Christ to take care of one another, to pick each other up. And you now, church, live life in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit not only moves us to bear the burdens of others, but he also gives us the power and the capacity to. Right? It's amazing that when you entrust those interactions to God, how much more capable you are of meeting people where they're at. And that's because that's what Christ did for us first. He met us where we were at. Like we literally just celebrated it like a week ago at Christmas. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become better listeners better mourners, better encouragers, better advocates. We have more generous hearts. We look different 
because the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives. And Paul says that when we bear the burdens of others, we fulfill the law of Christ. And what's the law of Christ? Well, it's all the teachings and the moral implications of Jesus, but he boils it down to two distinct statements in the gospel. This is what Christ says to us. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Life in the Spirit is living in such a way that we love God with all we are as a person and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And there's some of you in this room who might be a little confused, right? You think, wait, Jordan, okay, I can get behind loving my neighbor well. I can get behind loving God well. But I thought Christ came to set us free from the law, right? He is enough. That's what we've been talking about this whole Galatians series. And you would be correct, right? He is enough, right? He did set us free from the law. But the law of Christ looks different because our life in Christ is different. See, church, at the core of the law of Christ is a call to faith, Right? By faith, we believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to set us free from our sins through his death on a cross and his resurrection three days later. By faith, we are saved through this gospel, and when we are saved, God sends the Holy Spirit to indwell in the heart of every believer. And that Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives to love God and love others, and that is how we fulfill the law of Christ. Or it was not some law that saved us. It was not some law that produced the fruit of the Spirit, but it was faith in who Christ is and what he's done that has led you to this new and abundant life where you get to fulfill the law of Christ by loving God and others. Not that the Old Testament law wasn't rooted in love, right? It was written out of a love by God, the good, good Father, for his children, the Israelites, to lead them into a life of goodness and holiness, Right, that's why Christ in Matthew 5, 17 says that he came to fulfill, not abolish, the Old Testament law. And why Christ says that the entirety of the law, a, a movement that takes books to explain in the Old Testament, right, is fulfilled simply by loving God and loving your neighbor. Right, the law of Christ is not the abolishment, but it is the fulfillment, the perfecting of the Old Testament law. And in the same way, Christ's love is being perfected in his faithful followers by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this new love shifts our focus off of ourselves and onto others in God. Let's go ahead and read verses 3 through 5 again. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reasons to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load." Under the old law, we were concerned about our performance because we had to uphold all of these laws and commandments to be in right standing with God. And we even see that in culture now. It's all performance-based. Your measure as a person according to the world comes from things like your work ethic, the possessions that you've earned, the prowess that you have in the workplace or athletics. And what does that breed, church? It breeds a focus on self, right? It breeds pride, in order to have these things, to feel this value, to be the best at my job, my school, or even in my own family, I've got to do certain things. And we become concerned and sometimes even obsessed with our performance and achievement, and that always leads to pride. And as we read, there's no place for pride, good or bad, with life in the Spirit. That's why Paul in verse 3 encourages these Galatian Christians and us in 2022 not to fall into that trap. 
right? To think of ourselves as something when we are nothing, otherwise we deceive ourselves. Now, I want to pause for a second. Don't make the mistake, church, right? Paul is not calling Christians worthless or insignificant, quite the opposite, in fact. Remember, God so loved the world that he sent Jesus Christ in the first place, right? He literally died for you. And anyone who has faith in the gospel of Christ, who calls upon the name of the Lord, that's Romans 10, 13, will be saved. The God of the universe willing to come down and meet you where you're at. The God of the universe willing to die on a cross and rise again from the dead three days later. Willing to save humanity. People don't just do that for insignificant humans. God did that because he loves you. But just like in our own lives, right, Christians can easily play the comparison game at church. Oh, my sins, they're not as bad as this brother's over here. Oh, my good works, they're so much better than my sister in Christ over there. Oh, I serve way more than that person. Paul's reminding these faithful followers of Christ that when Jesus comes back, what he's referencing in verse 5, God's not going to be interested in how your performance stacks up to your neighbor. Right? The standard of perfection that your life will be measured against is God's alone. And not only that, but you were afforded the same grace and mercy that all sinners were when Christ died on the cross for you. And when we play this comparison game, we deceive ourselves into the sin of pride and we render our ministry to others ineffective because all we're trying to do is prove our own worth when it's God who loved us in the first place, right? When it was God who's forgiven us, God who has given us the Holy Spirit which empowers us to love well, to encourage and to mourn well, to be uncommonly generous, to live different than the rest of the world. Church, Jesus is enough because he leads me to life in the spirit where I'm not concerned about my performance, but life that's worth living. In verse 6, Paul moves against this call of pride to an encouragement for all believers. This is what he writes. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, when we read this verse, we can easily assume that Paul is talking about a pastor or a preacher in their congregation But can I encourage us to view this verse in the context of the church as a whole? Right? Sharing good things, yes, it can mean material and financial support. We just talked about how bearing one another's burdens includes that. And we desire even more so as faithful followers of Christ that all of our brothers and sisters be without need. But good things includes and is much more than just the material. And those who teach are not just limited to those in a teaching or preaching role. Church, the body of Christ is rich with opportunities to disciple one another. And by its very nature, discipleship is teaching. In Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, Christ calls all of his disciples, not just pastors or elders or deacons, but every disciple of Christ is called to teach other faithful followers how to observe all that Christ has commanded us in his word. We all have the privilege of teaching and learning from one another how to live this new life in the Spirit by sharing good things with one another. And as I was writing this sermon, I found myself, per usual, so overwhelmed with gratitude for the Lord's goodness in my life with the different ways that I am discipled and blessed by you as my Lakewood family. Right, yes, I have the privilege of being able to preach God's word to you this Sunday and a lot of times on Wednesday nights with our students, but I feel far more blessed than I could ever communicate in just one sermon. I love when families and couples invite me into their homes. Yes, I receive my love language of free food, right? but even greater is the opportunity to watch marriage and parenting in real life. 
because I know that one day I will be blessed with a wife and kids of my own and because of God's faithfulness of earth in God through our families, right, I get to learn what it means to love and prioritize them well. And in turn, I relish the opportunities to share God at work in their kids' lives, to share that the discipleship of their children is bearing good fruit. And for those generations in here with more candles in their birthday cakes and maybe more discounts at restaurants, right? I love watching what faithfully following God looks like over the course of your life, right? A faith that's been battle-tested and refined and that's brought you to a closeness with God that only grows with time. I love hearing your wisdom about enduring and trusting in the Lord well, and I just got to be real with you, community group A and B, you give the best hugs, right? I love the opportunities our students have to serve you, and I love sharing the victories of God at work in our student ministries. Did you know that LSM has grown by 30 brand new students this year? And it is because those students are praying for their friends They're engaging in spiritual conversations with them. They are inviting them to church because they have drawn a line in the sand and said, we will not be the generation that forgets about Christ, but we will make him known to our friends. And we get to share those joys, those victories, those good things as we disciple one another. And students and kids, did you know you disciple me too? Right? See, church, God doesn't place an age restriction on discipleship or life in the Spirit. The whole body of Christ embraces and disciples one another. The congregation embraces leadership. Generations learn from one another. Newer in the faith and lifelong believers speak truth into each other. And so, yes, kids and students, you teach me too. Right? You teach me and hold me accountable to enjoying the simplicity of following a Christ who loves me. You teach me about how to engage my faith with a culture that's disinterested in Jesus And you teach me how to be patient and faithful to the Lord, even when the circumstances of your own church, of your own school, of your own life have given you every excuse to walk away. And in turn, I love that I get to share my life and my heart and very infrequently some nuggets of wisdom and fire memes with you. But do you see, church, when we actively seek to engage and disciple with one another, whether it's teaching restoring one another, bearing each other's burdens, avoiding pride in comparison, or simply just being an encouragement, we are being invited to share every good thing. We are being invited to share the very fruit of the Spirit born from our shared discipleship and life in Jesus Christ. Right? And how sweet is it that as faithful followers, we can encourage each other with those immediate fruits in our lives as we endure and persist for the eternal fruit in the life to come. So students, Go introduce yourself to a member of the birthday cake generation. Ask how you can serve them. See if they need help with their phones or their computers. And birthday cake generation, get to know the younger members of our church. Get to know our kids, our students, our singles, our young families. Experienced parents invite young parents over to speak truth and encouragement into their lives. Church, do you realize we could spend the entire sermon talking about the treasure trove of discipleship opportunities we have as a Lakewood family. And we all get to learn from one another by the power of the same Holy Spirit that dwells in all of us. And as we seek to disciple, to love, to serve, to live this life in the Spirit, we do it with hearts that are newly motivated to do so. Let's go ahead and read verses 7 and 8 again. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 
For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And at first glance, this text is pretty straightforward. Paul uses the image of sowing and reaping a field to describe two different ways that your life can go. Right? Maybe if agriculture isn't your thing, you've heard of the phrase, you get out what you invest in. Right? Paul shares with these Galatian Christians that for those who would sow the fields of their lives with the desires of their flesh, they're going to reap corruption. And it sounds intense, but it makes sense, doesn't it? If you sow to the desires of your flesh, eventually that becomes all that you have. Or you start to only be able to live for the next best phone or the next best car, the next night at the bar, the next opportunity to look at things that you probably shouldn't be on the internet. When you sow to the desires of your flesh, even the ones that seem good and beneficial, you become a slave to them, church. And the fruit of that slavery is corruption, a warped mind, a warped heart, a warped soul, because those earthly, fleshly things they can only temporarily satisfy the deepest cravings of your heart. And eventually you're just left feeling empty and all the more desperate for that temporary satisfaction once more. And desperation it breeds unhealthy compromise and unhealthy compromise always breeds corruption. But in God's grace, Paul says that there is another way to sow and reap the field of your life. To sow and reap in the spirit. In church, I got to be honest with you, I was reading this verse in all week, right? Like the people's elbow from the top rope, right, has been wrecking me in the best way, right? When we study scripture to know God personally, because that's what God's word is, right? It's him speaking to us, letting him know who he is. And when we study scripture, we learn the character and heart of God. In church, I read verse 8, and I literally cannot understand the kindness of God to us. Right? We see clearly that eternal life is the product of living life in the Spirit. And humanity is motivated by reward, right? It makes sense. I agree. Eternity with God is going to be amazing. Don't, don't mistake that. But to sow the field of your life in the Spirit requires a heart that's newly motivated to do so. Why? Because sin is more convenient. It typically costs us less. It deceives us into thinking that it's more satisfying and fun than doing the right thing. Church, sin messes up our priorities. But this is where the good part happens. See, God saw us trapped in our sin. God saw our present view of sin. And he sent Jesus Christ to save us by dying on the cross and rising again three days later. And anyone who believes that truth, as we've talked about, it will be saved from sin and death. But God didn't just send Christ to leave us to our own device. He didn't just say, oh, I forgive you. You do you. No, when God offered us the gift of salvation, he also offered us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you receive that gift of the Spirit through faith, the Holy Spirit comes and truly and continuously satisfies those deepest cravings of your very soul. Right? The cravings to feel loved the craving to feel at peace, the craving to feel whole, right? He takes your cravings for sin and he replaces them with cravings to do righteousness, right? He takes our heart and completely transforms and restores it. That's what God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah. I will give them a new heart. They will be my people and I will be their God for they will know that I am the Lord. Seriously, church, how kind is God to us? To invite us not just into freedom from sin, but to invite us into freedom to live. Right? To live truly satisfied. 
to live truly righteous, to live different than the rest of the world, and a life that is not lived by our own effort, our own good works, or our own striving, but the Holy Spirit that encourages us, that equips us, that empowers us, so that even when our temptations and our flesh come to try and screw up our priorities, we can approach the throne of our God with confidence and say, I love Jesus Christ more than I love my sin. And the reward for living faithfully by the power of that Holy Spirit is an eternal life free from suffering and death and presently with a God who loves you unconditionally and eternally. Church, the Lord is good to us. Paul then concludes this section of Galatians with one final encouragement. Will you read verses 9 and 10 with me, please? And let us not grow weary of doing good, For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We know that there's a real world beyond the doors of this building, don't we, church? A world full of people that are in desperate need of Jesus, just like we are every single day. A world full of people who need more love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness in their lives. People who need to hear the truth of Christ proclaimed and also see the difference that Christ makes in his faithful followers. And the reality of living in that world, though, is that sometimes it can be pretty exhausting. Right? You will get hurt. You'll be disappointed. You'll get irritated with people, and it might irritate a couple of people, too. But Paul encourages us not to grow weary of doing good, not to grow weary of keeping in step with the Spirit, not to grow weary of showing the world that Jesus is enough. Because while there will be good days and there will be bad days and there will be the roughest of days, church, the harvest is coming and we will reap eternal life if we don't give up. Jesus Christ is going to look at every single faithful follower in this room. He's going to look at you if you have accepted his gospel. He's going to say, well, done, my good and faithful servant. And in that moment, every good, every bad, every rough day that you've ever had to deal with, all the pain, it's going to fade away, and it's all going to be worth it because you're going to be in the presence of God. And where does doing this good start? Where do we refine our ability to love others well, to speak truth into their lives, to bear one another's burdens? It starts in this household of faith, church. It starts with this family, We get to live in the Spirit right here with people who know Jesus so that we can go out into the world and love on people who don't know him yet. We get to honor Christ by taking every opportunity to love our brothers and sisters of this church family well, by restoring them when they sin, by bearing their burdens, by discipling and being discipled by them, by living in the empowerment and the equipping of the Holy Spirit. Church, if you want to be great at sharing Jesus with the world, Start by being great at sharing Jesus with the family of God. So we come to the very beginning. What did you have for breakfast today, church? Did you nourish your soul with something that leaves you tired and unmotivated? Or did you consume that which moves your soul to truly live out the freedom and life that you found in Jesus Christ? There's an abundant life of bearing good fruit of declaring good news, of closeness with God the Father that's waiting for you, church. There is life in the Spirit that is waiting for you. And Jesus is enough because he leads us to that life in the Holy Spirit.